Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Erling OTP 24.1 was released. This includes improved error messages, and the big part is faster shutdown or restarts, which is particularly noticeable on low-power devices like the Raspberry Pi Zero. This actually came up because of a nerves problem where they were noticing on a Raspberry Pi Zero, which is a super tiny little device, that it would take like two minutes to do a shutdown because it was going through the process of trying to unload all of the loaded modules. And on a faster machine, you would never notice that. The reason for unloading modules is like when you're doing hot code upgrades, but when you're doing a system shutdown, you don't need to do that. So it's just extra work that was being done that was really painful on nerves devices. But just want to make you aware that OTP 24.1 is there. It does have some other improvements as well. So it's a good release, and I know the nerves people were happy to have that one. Cool. I remember talking about that in the, the news a couple of weeks or months back ago, so glad to see that that's finally released. Also in the news, and about nerves, nerves Livebook is now part of the Livebook organization on GitHub. So it's pretty neat to see that, all the consolidation of Livebook things under the Livebook org. It sounds like that's that's an official sanction. <laughs> you might see it that way of deploying Livebook to small devices like uh, like Raspberry Pis. It's pretty neat. ElixirConf EU 2021 has started to release several videos. At the time of this recording, it looks like there is four keynotes up right now. We've been seeing a lot of people enjoying the talk by Sasha Yurik on Code Clarity. So we're looking forward to watching these. And following on that conference theme, Codebeam America announced that they were switching back to a virtual conference. And their statement was, the safety and comfort of our attendees is our first priority. With this in mind, we've decided to revert Codebeam America back to a fully virtual event for this year. Also, despite travel bans being lifted, a number of people are still not able to attend or feel safe traveling. I would love for this whole global pandemic just to go away and and be gone because I'm looking forward to going to ElixirConf US and I'm planning on attending in person, but I know it's not necessarily possible for everyone. And just the risk of travel alone can be uh, something that dissuades people. Just wanted to let you know, in case you are uh, follow the conferences, that the Codebeam America announced they're switching back to virtual, which means if you want to attend that, attending virtual is uh, the way to do it then. All right. Also in the news, Phoenix HTML had a security vulnerability. So if you're on Phoenix HTML 3.0.0 through 3.0.3, you need to upgrade like pronto. The security vulnerability that they're talking about is where you're putting in uh, interpolated content into the class attribute. So it, it wasn't uh, escaped uh, correctly. And so that can open stuff for, for security issues. So please update to 3.0.4. Do it yesterday. Like right now. Yeah, like do it right now. It's, it's fine. Do it right now. You can just take five minutes right now. You can put the headphones down. You can just go to your app. Just do mix depths.update dash dash all and you're good to go. And then with that, you'll get Phoenix 1.6 <laughs> because that was officially released. We talked about it earlier being an RC release, but now it's out for real. This is a big one and we talked about it previously, but just to remind you of some pretty awesome highlights, there's the new authentication mailer generators. There's the new HEEX, which I guess we're calling Heeks, 
engine, HTML aware templates, and they updated the syntax as well. There's new server lifecycle hooks like on mount, and then there's the new live session for optimized navigation when navigating between live views. Oh, and then don't forget that you can also be JavaScript free and Webpack free, right? I guess not JavaScript free, but they took out Node and Webpack and replaced it with ES Build. And lastly, Chris McCord wrote up a post talking about how we got to Live View. So Chris McCord works at fly.io, which is where the blog post is posted. And that's also where I work. So I'm just kind of disclosing that. But I think this is a great resource because there's a lot of people over time who've been joining the Elixir community and they haven't been here through the whole process of how Live View actually came into being and why it happened, what the motivations were, what problems it was solving. And so this is a great little resource to kind of give context to it all. And it actually started out of a project that Chris had in Ruby using Event Machine and that why that wasn't working and how he had to switch to Elixir with its OTP processes and and everything that, that we have there with concurrency to get really the foundation that he needed. I still want to mention that the pedal stack, right? We've talked about the pedal stack before a number of times, but we haven't talked about it recently. And that's pedal is Phoenix, Elixir, Tailwind CSS, Alpine JS, and LiveView. And how LiveView is really a central part of that stack. That's kind of what makes it all work for me. It's a hugely productive tech stack to combine all these things together. And we, I haven't actually talked to you guys recently. Are you guys still building pedal-like apps? I am, though I haven't built one from scratch for a while, but I desperately need to go back through some of my apps and upgrade them to Phoenix 1.6 at this point because lots, a lot of cool things have, have shipped and I'm not taking advantage of it yet. I haven't dived into this Heeks slash surfacey kind of world yet. And I think that's going to be a game changer, you know, in the long run. So I, I, I need to put my toes into it and see how it is. Yeah. So no, uh, yes and no, I guess to answer your question. <laughs> well, that's it for the news. Today, we're having a little discussion amongst ourselves, just your hosts of the Thinking Elixir podcast show, where we just wanted to talk about some things we were seeing in the Elixir community. And recently, there was a lot of activity and drama around the way things can be handled sometimes and just presented. And so we don't want to dig up any of that. We want to talk instead about how we, as people who live and work in the Elixir community, how we can get the things that we want out of the community and also be good members and contributors of that same community. So maybe to kick it off, I could talk about this idea that I think a lot of us find ourselves in is that I'm a developer, I'm working at a job, I'm doing this as my job, a full-time developer, I'm struggling with something, I'm using a library, and it's not working the way I want. I might be struggling with this, and after a couple hours, maybe even a whole day, it's the next day, and I'm still just like, ah, oh, this is not working. This is- your boss is breathing down your neck, right? Like, you've got a deadline to hit. But I've got my own deadlines, my own concerns, and this is now a blocker for me. And that, that can be the way I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling very frustrating. And maybe I've attributed all of the blame to this library. So when I go to report an issue, sometimes I'll open up the issue. And as I'm trying to detail it and write it out, some of my frustration and feelings that I may have had might carry over into my words and the way I'm describing the problem. Have you guys ever seen that or been a participant of that yourselves? 
I think I have seen it. Yes. I think I know what you're talking about. Sometimes it's hard to like disconnect our emotions, right? From like how we're feeling, from what we're trying to get across. And then it's easy for these passive aggressive words to come out on paper and come across. And then somebody else who doesn't have any idea where you're coming from is like, why am I being attacked like this? (laughs) (laughs) I can't think of a specific issue, but I think generally I have gotten into a place where I don't use rails in a way that makes me happy anymore. And so it's not like I've opened up issues against rails. It's just like the way that I use it hasn't been the way that I should be using it. Maybe that makes me generally unhappy with it. And it comes out in any, any kind of speech. You know, if I talk with some friends about something, I'll, I'll just make some jokes about, Oh, well, this bug is like, Oh, well, it's because you got, you know, object space or you got magic methods or something. Yeah. Yeah. Where's, where do I debug this? I don't know. Thanks rails, you know, like that kind of stuff. And my point is, is like the attitude that you kind of get into, right? You just become grumpy with it. And I guess in my scenario, there's not one specific issue, right? But. If I had found that specific issue and I was just like generally grumpy about it, it's time to go take a walk, time to go get an ice cream, go get a a Coca-Cola, like just just go chill for a minute, whatever you do (laughs) (laughs) and settle down, disconnect how you're feeling towards the project versus like the the folks that help make that project a reality and come back at it, you know, with, with a little bit, a little less grump. It's okay to be, you know to, you know, point out that there's, there's a bug here, but it's usually not true that it's like, well, this bug caused my ultimate demise, you know, my, (laughs) my project to become at risk or whatever. Yeah. It's like, that's not necessarily true. Don't push the blame around. I guess it's, it's what it, what it comes down to in my head. It's, it's, it's not their fault. They're there to help. You see, I think I may have been that person who I've been developing for a long time and Earlier in my career, I was more passionate, less pragmatic, perhaps. And I don't remember any specific examples, but I suspect that there were a few times I may have posted something either in a forum or in an issue that was just a little bit attributing blame or this is a bad design or or some kind of judgment on my part. I expect I've probably done that. So to anyone who may have heard this, you know, I apologize <laughs> because I'm I'm now a maintainer as well. As a maintainer, I've had people using my library, just finding it somehow. I don't know. It's, it's public, I guess. So they find it. And they would ask for features. And I remember this one feature in particular, it's like, I was glad they were finding value in the library. I'd written it just for myself. And it's if it's helpful for me, and I can at least open source it. So that was my goal with doing that. And then they come and they have this idea about where this could go. And hey, if we take this little utility that's just run locally on your machine and we redo it in this whole big way, it can be used to be run across many files, many machines and create administrative reports and do this much bigger thing. And really, I had no use for that. So it's like, yeah, that's that's an interesting idea. I see how you could do that. That isn't where I want to go with the project. It's open source. You're welcome to do with it whatever you want with it. But you know, I'm not going to do that. Mainly because it's not something that matters to me. I can see why they're passionate about it. They are able to explain their use case. But it's not the kind of thing where I want to take on ownership for maintaining that in a direction that actually doesn't match up with where I want to go. So I I think sometimes when we find a library, we might 
be really happy with it. This is doing exactly what I want. Maybe this is a CSV parser. Maybe it's an HTTP client. Maybe it's an adapter for a database that's not the mainstream one. It's something different. And then we start to have ideas about where this could be different. This could solve a different problem or it could be grown in some way. And then the hazard is in the feature request, we make the assumption that they want the same thing for their project that we want for it. Yeah, and I think it's obvious, but it's like important to point out that people have different opinions, right? Different ideas, like you're saying, like you might feel like this one thing that you're conveying is very important and we should all be on board, but obviously not everybody has the same opinion as you. So while you might think that this is of great importance and how could you have not done it this way, like obviously the other people have different opinions and have importance on other parts of the library or I don't know. I feel like I'm pointing out the obvious though. I think that's it though, right? People feel like they're pointing out the obvious, obvious in quotes here. Oh, I just did it. I see where you're going. (laughs) Yeah. Obvious. What's obvious to you and me is not really obvious to some other folks. And I think that's the difference is like, it's, it's where you're coming from. When anyone uses the, the word obvious, you think, well, anyone else that is like-minded should be able to make the same conclusion that I have. And if they haven't, there lies the error. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the assumption. You know, like, I don't think that's true. You know, I, I think the libraries are out there to serve a wide variety of folks. People use Rails for different reasons than I use, than I use Rails. People use Phoenix for different reasons than I use Phoenix. Those libraries serve a wide variety of, of people and, and needs. And as you get a audience, those needs are going to get more and more different <laughs> than what might be originally, you know, thought of. And, and it takes that, that audience to help bridge those gaps, I think. I think it has to be done, in, you know, with a, with a different attitude. It has to be done from the, well, it's not obvious. You know, the, the obvious is the wrong word here. I think it's, well, let me show you what my scenario is. And then maybe we can come to some conclusions together. I had just uh, done a PR for for Ecto, so I can, I can talk about it here, I guess. And I think it comes from a humility standpoint to not know where the destination is. So if you think you know where the destination is in a PR, you're making some assumptions to get there. You're cutting out all the other options that could have been also a good solution. I created PR thinking, okay, well, there's there's this way that we need to get more SQL logs out of there. And so let's uh, let's create a, a, another flag when you're doing mix ecto migrate. Let's do another flag called log SQL mode or something like that. This mode thing can be kind of a, well, anything you want it to be, but we only need like one string in there right now. And I just want all. I want all the SQL logs. So all was the only one that I cared about. Over the course of the PR, I mean, this is not, this was not a contentious PR, by the way. So don't look at this as an example of something where people started yelling each other opposite of that. It really wasn't that. My point is, is that, that through the process of understanding the problem, communicating the problem, I think a better solution came out the end. And it wasn't the, what I thought could have been an obvious solution. It was something else that also solved the problem. And that was okay. You got to come from a, a place of humility, I think, and and cutting out the word obvious, cutting out the word just, that word just, well, just do this. You know, well, what if you just did this other thing in your PR? I was like, well, what if you just showed up? <laughs> <laughs> There's some of those key words that, that we can take out of our vocabulary. And I think that will that will help um, the stance when you're trying to get some help. 
Yeah, because kind of coming back to the original point I was opening with, I'm coming to this interaction, maybe I'm wanting to be a contributor and I'm looking for places to help. But lots of times I think our first engagement with something is I either have a question because it's not working the way I thought it should, or it's broken for my use case. And so in all those cases, it's like, I want something out of this exchange and I want the maintainer, the person I'm interacting with to have a pleasant experience so that it can be good for both of us, that I can actually get what I want out of this too, right? I can be selfishly motivated. It's okay to be selfishly motivated sometimes and say, I just want, I need my problem to be solved. So how can I go about that in the most productive way possible? And one of the ways I think is just worth thinking about is how every project that's, you know, if you look at your mix EXS files and you see all the projects that you're using, and then they have all of the projects that they're using, you look at your mix lock file and you see all these different projects. Well, every one of those projects is run differently. The way the maintainer runs their issue tracker is different. The way they schedule their releases, the way they, you know, maybe some of them might be using semantic versioning, some might not. So when we go to engage with a particular maintainer or a project, it's worth taking a little bit of time just to understand the way this project works. So for example, the Elixir project, they state that their issues are limited to only those things that are actionable. And so what that means is like, that's really awesome because you go to their issue tracker and there's a very small number of open issues and it's actively curated and kept to something that can be acted on. So what will happen is if you come and you have a question or you would like to have a philosophical discussion, like what if we did this? What if this whole big approach was taken? They'll give a short answer. That discussion should happen over here and they'll close the issue because that's how they have chosen to maintain their issue tracker, which I can totally appreciate because on my personal projects, I can do it however I want. I have some personal projects where my issue trackers have been all of my feature ideas, everything that I think could possibly happen with this. And then, you know, that can become like hundreds of issues. If you've ever worked in a company where that's happened, then it's just like, you know, the backlog. Oh, don't go into the backlog. It's too big. It's like, it, it becomes overwhelming and you just, it just adds stress and you don't go there. So the Elixir maintainers, Jose Valim and the other crew, they have said, we're going to make it so the Elixir issues are very actionable. So one of the things is if you have an issue with Elixir, something that's a problem that it's not behaving the way you should, you feel it should, that is the right place to go to do it. If you'd like to have a more philosophical discussion, then there are other forums where those things can happen. The point here is, when you're coming to any project, that's Elixir. When you're coming to any project, if it's the Phoenix project, you know, the Live View project is a separate project. If it's the PostGrex project, all of them are run potentially differently. So take a little bit of pause to understand how this maintainer, how this project is run. So you can engage them the way they've already defined, this is how we would like to interact. I think maintainers also get into a weird place with that too. I've heard like Adam Watham talk about that with GitHub. Like it's a huge task to keep that issue tracker down, right? And and if folks are going there for generic help and that's not really a thing <laughs> that's wrong with the library or something, like it's very tempting. It's it's so much easier to just open up an issue on GitHub and get some attention because like it's managed. 
But I think GitHub has recently made some like some changes or, you know, other projects kind of do some management both inside and outside of GitHub. And so in the case of like Elixir, there's the kind of like the proposal process or the discussion process that can happen in Elixir forum or it can happen in the Google group for proposals. And that's for like the, the long form kind of discussions. But yeah, I really appreciate the guideline that that the issue tracker is for short actionable things so their goal is i'm i won't speak for them but i I assume just from from what i'm seeing of this is that that their goal is to keep the issue tracker down to zero you know inbox zero as much as they can and to leave it for like actual bugs that can be fixed or should be fixed but if it's for like new features anything on the proposal side of it then it needs to be discussed a little bit beforehand too and i appreciate that in my own work I wouldn't want to just create an issue because it's. I feel like I I would appreciate this new feature that needs to be discussed first. Because if if I just go straight into the issue tracker, I skipped a lot of the process here, and that process requires me to talk to other people about it. And if I've skipped that whole part to talk to other people, like <laughs> I've probably am going to come up to a lesser solution anyway, a short sighted solution. And that's the purpose of getting discourse on it is to get that better solution out on the other end. And then maybe, you know, it's a big feature. We still got to like cut it down to small actionable items too. But anyway, yeah, I really appreciate that. And, and, and that project maintainers, well, they, they just didn't have the tools up front with GitHub for a long time. The GitHub just recently, well, maybe not too recently now, but they had discussions. That's a new product line for them. And discussions, I think, is a little bit better suited for that longer form discourse that, that wasn't available before. Before, GitHub was just only issues, and that was it. But now, new options are open. And I think Adam Watham has like moved that over. He was an early adopter of the Discussions tab on the GitHub thing. And uh, I'm curious to see how that's going, but I presume that he's enjoying that a lot more. And on the Elixir side, you know, we've got the Google group. And in case you don't know who Adam Watham is, <laughs> he's the CS, uh, Tails, Tailwind CSS creator. So there's a, there's a lot of folks out there that enjoy his work, uh, especially with Phoenix and LiveView and Alpine. They'll tend to work well together. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of feature requests and talking about that discourse because like the Elixir project says feature requests should go through their mailing list so that you can have those longer extended discussions where they can say, kind of refine the idea. And that still happens in the public, but it's not on the GitHub page. But it is linked from there. So if you do have a feature request or an idea to discuss, check out the README where it shows you how to engage there. I just got to give a shout out to the Elixir Forum folks too. Some of the members there, they're just so amazing, so humble, you know, and so helpful. They're a good blend of people to be around. And if you go straight to the issue tracker, you're going to miss some of those folks. And that'd be a shame to miss those folks. They're going to help you you know, in creative ways or admit with you that it, this should be fixed. You know, this is this should be considered a bug. It's just good to have a, a variety of, of views on things. And it's okay to slow down. I think that some might be some of the pressure too. Like you mentioned, Kay, it's like my boss is breathing down my neck. I've got a deadline to meet right now. Like, you know what, man? Like, it's okay. It's just, it's just code. <laughs> it's, it'll be okay. And uh, let's give it a thought here. Let's pause here. Maybe maybe reposition ourselves and, and attack this other issue while we discuss how to fix this other one. I do want to talk a little bit more about maintainers. And I was reminded about this when I, I saw a, a maintainer share this idea that they were dealing with companies at the time that were expecting free work. 
And they're expecting one-on-one conversations instead of the public places like Slack and forums and GitHub posts. And they're asking for help. So they're basically asking for unpaid consulting. And then they would say, well, I can't contribute to this because I'm too busy. So they're just expecting the maintainer to do everything. And so I think that's, that's something we need to kind of keep in mind when we are coming on behalf of a company. We are kind of the representative of the company. So we should try to act professionally. So sometimes that might mean, hey, if we need consulting services, we can try and engage someone to say we would like to either sponsor the project or we're willing to pay for special attention and focus. If that's what you need, then consider doing that. I think it's just we can't, as users of a, of a project, we don't want to take for granted and just expect that they are there to serve me. They've done all this work and everything, and, and their objective now, their purpose in life is to make it so I have an easier time. That's not it, right? That's not how it works. Like They have their own jobs, and they have their own families and other hobbies. We've talked with other maintainers like uh, Bitwalker and others, where I know they've dealt with burnout. And burnout often comes from engagement with the community because of people expressing somehow they're entitled to something from you. And I think that can just be draining. As a parent, that's draining, right? You have kids, your own kids, and they're just like, I want this, I should have that. And you can kind of feel like that as a maintainer when people just come at you and all they're coming at you with is the negative. Like this is, something's wrong. This is, I want you to do this for me. That can be heavy, you know? You get too much of that and it just burns you out. So one of the ideas I loved to counteract that is something Bruce Tate shared. And I'll try and include a link to this in the show notes. It's a tweet of his. He says, I'm going to quote him, OSS, open source software, depends on the fuel of goodwill, kindness, and mutual respect. Tell those who make a positive impact on your life. Do it often. I guarantee you that for every vocal jerk, there are hundreds of silent supporters. That's a problem. Don't be silent. So his call to action there is, if you're really enjoying using a library or getting a lot of value out of it, just say thank you. Because so often the only interactions we have is to complain or say something's not right or could be better. Just make that effort to just reach out and say, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. It gives a lot of value to me and my team, whatever. Just flip it around. How can I just share some appreciation? Yeah, make that the call of action if you're listening to the podcast. Go tweet at someone who did something awesome that you enjoy using. So another idea is just something to think about is how do I constructively share these problems that I encounter or, or anything like that? And one, one great way is to just go back and look at other issues that have already been closed and how they were discussed and how they were handled. Because it, it's not bad to say this is not working correctly. The objective here is not to say, don't ever raise a problem. Don't ever say that there's something wrong. That's not the objective. The objective is just say, how can we do it constructively? So one way is just when you go to the issue trackers, lots of times they'll have the questions they want you to focus on, like what version are you using? What's your OS version? All the things that might be relevant to helping them understand. It's usually born out of a lot of follow-up questions like, well, is that work for Safari or for Chrome? You know, where you have to ask all those things. So just answer all those things up front. And the main thing I think is, just keep emotion out of it. Just don't use emotive words. Don't say things like, 
This has robbed me of something. This has caused me so many lost hours. How could this happen to me? <laughs> exactly. Just keep the emotion out of it. And just like, this is, this is the issue. This is what I'm seeing. And just kind of discuss it at a factual level. They may come back and say, yeah, that's totally valid. And we choose not to fix it. It's going in a different direction. It's not relevant to where this project is going. You can have that. And, and that can be a valid result. It may not be the result you want, but it can be a valid outcome. But I don't know. Have you guys seen any other things that you think are good ways or good tips for having a constructive, productive exchanges with maintainers and projects? I think just slowing down. I think one of you mentioned it earlier, just like slowing down and not typing up your issue in the moment of frustration, right? Like you can type it up and try to be as reasonable and logical as possible and then go get some ice cream at David's house and come back and reread <laughs> it and take out all any like passive aggressive or emotional statements, right? Yeah. It happens in the moment, right? In the moment of frustration is when it, it's hard to follow these best practices, I suppose you could say for filing bugs. There's a ice cream place by my house that's called Brewster's, a nerd chain. You may have one around you too. And they have my favorite ice cream. It's called Graham Central Station. It's, you know, honey and graham cracker flavored with like, uh, with like chocolate chips in there. And I get, I get marshmallow fluff on top of it. It's so divine. Like, how could you not be happy after eating that? And, um, also a tip, if you have a headache, go for a walk, have a Coca-Cola or something with caffeine, really. And if you're still, uh, you're still feeling it and, you know, have, have some ice cream. That'll, that'll help too. Get some, get some of that. And, and, uh, most of the time, even if you still have a headache, cause none of those are prescriptions for headaches, <laughs> you may have forgotten about your headache, which is, uh, also helpful. Join us next time for health tips on thinking elixir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that prescription strength ice cream. I think that's a, it's a new thing. <laughs> Uh, it's always helped for me disconnecting from the issue, I think, for a moment and just gain a new perspective uh, is always helpful. Also, one good tip is pay attention to their template they have on their issue tracker. Like, don't just delete it or, you know, check the box and not actually have it. Like a lot of times it's really hard to like the hardest part is to reproduce the issue. It's not, you know, it's one sentence claim that this doesn't work, but you have no details on how to replicate it. And how would you expect them to figure it out? You're supposing that they have that extra secret knowledge that would somehow arrive at the bug that you experienced. A replication of that issue is like perfect. That's like gold for maintainers to figure out how to do that. Finding bugs isn't anybody's, you know, favorite thing to do. <laughs> Nobody enjoys that. So if, if you can provide a replication of, of the issue, that's perfect. That gives the maintainer, anybody even, a contributor can come across that and be like, oh, well, now I have the tools I need to replicate the bug. And now I can add a test. It takes the mind work out of it. Now it becomes like a, a five to 15 minute kind of task in, in some cases, instead of a X amount of time to find the bug and then figure it out. It becomes a more digestible unit of, uh, of time at that point. And that's really helpful. That's respectful of the maintainer's times and opens it up, thankfully, to other contributors that may not be contributing quite yet if they're just watching and uh, they've got some free moments. Uh, ways to replicate it is, uh, is, is a way that they can hook into the project and try to fix it themselves. 
I'm glad you mentioned the idea of creating a replication. Because sometimes in order to replicate it, I have to create a new project, right? It's like, oh, there's so much work. I don't want to do that. It's like, but yeah, how many times has it happened? I don't even know where I've, I've actually gone to do the replication and it's like, oh, it works. Okay. So it works in a good, clean project. <laughs> there's something messed up with my project and my config. Yeah. And then I find it in my own site. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Rather than just trying to push off the work onto the maintainer, right? Yeah. I did some work around generating diffs for Phoenix projects. And so I tend to have like a bare Phoenix project repo <laughs> already on my, on my computer. And so when I find a bug, that's well, when I think I've found a bug, I'll, I'll usually go into that little repo and create some junk migrations or some junk, you know, stuff in there and, and go at it. I see this in other folks too, uh, uh, people that come to meetups. Um, sometimes they need some help with something. And I really appreciate it when I see like the usual Phoenix CSS with the Phoenix logo on top and then like some really ugly form in there. <laughs> you know, I don't care that it's it's not pretty. I just care that they took the time themselves to replicate it in a bare project and with the bare CSS with the, you know, the bare basics in there. Now, as anyone else that's trying to help them, they don't have to like discern all the different layers they have in their proprietary application probably that they probably shouldn't be showing me anyhow but <laughs> you don't sign an nda on the meetups <laughs> no <laughs> so something else i saw just in a whole separate forum i follow personal development and everything and someone in particular named darren hardy is someone i i follow and he has a daily email and which i subscribe to and he shared this video I would have loved to just include the whole video and like strip the audio out and put it in. But, you know, copyright infringement, I can't really do that. So I'm just going to retell it kind of in my own words. But the whole purpose here is just to kind of have a little bit of a self-check. And we can all check in with ourselves on this. And it kind of opens up this way. Do you think people are jerks? If people are being jerks to you, maybe it's because you're a jerk or at least acting like one. And that the people around us are actually reflections of us. The actions, attitudes, and behaviors that we put out are causing other people to react and respond accordingly. So if your experience is that other people are being jerkish to you, well, it's confirmed you're a jerk, or at least acting like one. And do you know that person who always seems to be arguing with someone, maybe a waiter or a waitress, maybe someone online or the person in front of them in their car? Do you find it odd that this person seems to be singled out for mistreatment constantly? Or could it be something else? Let's look at it from another direction. And then Darren tells this story about his friend named Anna Marie. And no matter where he takes her, she makes friends everywhere. People go out of their way to help her. She constantly has the luckiest things happen to her. Does this happen by chance? Is it just some coincidence? No. She walks around with a big beaming smile and enthusiastic spirit. People are actually drawn to her because she is so pleasant. To be mean or rude to her is almost like kicking a puppy. No one would do such a thing. The same people that react to her react differently than they might respond to a jerk. This means that if people are being jerks to you, then sorry, this is a big clue. So this just gives us a chance to check in and assess the experiences that we've been having recently. Are they jerkish, negative, cynical, 
gossipy, lewd, cruel, stressed, or depressed, whatever it is, they are mirroring what you are putting out, or at least what you are co-commiserating with. So pay attention to how people are acting around you. They are your mirror. Do you want those in the world around you to change? Change the image in the mirror. So that's my retelling of it. I loved it because I think it's true. I know people in my own personal life where when they walk into the room, everything just kind of amps up with anxiety because this person just likes to needle and poke and just cause contention. And they don't see it. They're like just not able to see it, that they are actually the cause of all this contention in their life. And it's, it's just kind of sad in some ways. You want to be able to help people to have a better, more pleasant time. So this is just a check-in for, you know, to kind of ask, ask myself, just kind of assess the relationships and the interactions I have around me. If they're not all positive, then maybe there's an opportunity for me to be reaching out in a more positive way. Yeah, I like that. I think I will uh, pay attention to how people around me are acting now. Maybe start taking notes because that's, that's really interesting. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, I, I can go with that. Saying that folks are a mirror of you is a little bit, a little bit strong, but I do think that people are reciprocal in a lot of ways. I don't know. I, I've met a lot of folks in my life where they don't, they don't reflect anything. It probably depends on the personality, <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. They are definitely their own people. That's not the point of it, though. It's, I, I, the point is, is that it's a clue and you should read the clues. So yeah, I, I can go with that. I do agree with the the sentiment. Like basically, if you want to change the world, you got to change with yourself first. And that's that's kind of the point of this, right? So so look at yourself before you start going out and uh, making waves. Yep. And I think I, the point we just want to end on is reiterating the, the idea that Bruce Tate was sharing, which others in the community had also shared, which is just share appreciation for the projects, the maintainers, the people who make a difference for you. Because I've had, I've had a lot of opportunities where people have helped me solve a problem. And it was just really wonderful, kind interactions, which just left me feeling more positive about the Elixir community. Because I think the Elixir community is awesome. I love it. And Tyler Young, who is, he shared this on Twitter, just this idea that there are a number of different communities will all do things differently, right? They, the tone is set by the leaders in the community. Like if you look at Linus Torvald with the Linux project, he was very bombastic. He would use a lot of foul language. And if someone submitted a patch that was not up to his level of approval, he'd slam it and tell how dumb they were and how idiotic this was. And, you know, that sets a tone in the community. It actually reached ahead with him where he had to, he was called out on it multiple times professionally. And he's like, okay, so he stepped back, got some counseling, I think, and come back and he's been very professional now. But the point is, the maintainers of the languages and the projects, they set a tone. And Jose Valim and the Elixir community has always been such an awesome place. It's so welcoming, such a, a great place. I've just loved it. It's my second home. So I appreciate that. And I, I want to all of us to try and continue to make that a positive home where everyone and all their different ideas are welcome. All the different experience levels are welcome. Contributions from everyone are, are welcome. 
And I believe we can do that. So I'm, I'm really glad that we could just talk together today and just focus on one, how can we have positive interactions with the projects that we deal with? How can we get the things that we want out of these interactions that I'm needing help? And how can I do that in, a, in the most productive way? And also just to remind everyone to show appreciation so that you're, the only interactions you have with a project aren't the negative ones. Just negative meaning that you're saying something is wrong or could be better. But I think that's about all we have to say on it. And we would love to hear from you. So you can always share your thoughts and message us either online on Twitter at Thinking Elixir or individually. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Or message the show, show at thinkingelixir.com. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.